0: hello welcome to the 44th episode of the crackle comics weekly comic book review podcast that's the show's name i guess it's been 44 episodes we'll we'll figure out one eventually i'm mike joined alongside dan and vincent how how was thanksgiving boys
1: Eh.
2: it was all right what are you thankful for comics when they don't suck
0: okay (laughs) How many how many times a year is that for you?
2: 60% of the year out of 52 weeks probably like I don't know a quarter of them.
1: Okay. I like he's like yeah, out of a quarter quarter of them like you could just say a quarter of the year. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, everyone's safe, everyone's sound. It's good. It's a fun week off and then uh we come back to a pretty huge week of books like King in Black, the the Justice League Endless Winter, uh, Batman Catwoman. So it was a pretty huge week to come back to. But there was an event that concluded last week uh, that, you know, we've covered, well, Vince has covered, you know, the previous, what, 17 parts. So it's only fair if you uh, conclude the first, you know, I guess the last three parts of X of Swords so. We'll we'll start the show with uh, you doing an X of Swords recap.
2: Yes. And for what it's worth, I never 100% understood if it's X of Swords or Ten of Swords. I don't really care, though. So this is the final three chapters of this 22-part epic. X-Men number 15, Excalibur number 15, and Ten of Swords, X of Swords, Destruction number 1. So I'm just going to combine them all, essentially. So Apocalypse fights his wife. That's the final challenge in the tournament. He wins, but he doesn't end up killing her, so then she puts back on her helmet and summons her horde of evil, hungry, thingy jiggies and Cyclops and Jean. they're ready to go on a suicide mission to rescue everyone after Jean was very briefly able to connect with her son kind of uh, son cable in one of the previous issues. And in order to do this, if they do this, they're sacrificing their seats on the council. So, you know, as X-Men moves forward, that's going to be a thing. You know, rejiggering the council and stuff. Uh, Jubilee also shows up again because she wants to rescue her son, Shogo. Everyone ends up getting surrounded by the hungry, like, demon thingies from Apocalypse's wife. And then the multiversal Captain Britain Corps show up, which just means the Iraqi call in their reinforcements. But then the X-Men show up. And then Cable unlocks the portal for some, like, Annihilation Wave-style aliens that we saw previously to show up to turn the tide again. And that's further... Confu- I mean, these characters are basically, you know, they're from, like, a alternate world where they've, like, examined and eaten everything. So it's basically, like, the Annihilation Wave. But that's further... Um, but also, like, Apocalypse's wife, her army, is it's the same thing. And then... It's further confused by the person who wears that helmet, calling themselves Annihilation, and eventually Apocalypse grabs the mask and puts it on, and surrenders to Otherworld and Saturnine, and so then Saturnine stops the whole thing, and everyone's chill, but they have to make a trade. So the Iraqi mutants and the Krakoa mutants—they have, you know, it's like a, it's like a prisoner swap. So Apocalypse rejoins his wife and his family. And he thinks of the kind of genius loophole where it's like, hey, the island of Arako is a mutant, just like Krakoa is a mutant. So I'm going to go hang with these people, but Arako is going to be reunited with Krakoa. So ultimately his kind of like, you know, major goal is accomplished here. I don't know. It was fine. It does set up, you know, some major status quo things moving forward as far as um, Arako and Kurkoa being reunited. And that also means that se- several of these characters that were, you know, quote, unquote, the villains and stuff, I believe they'll be sticking around, um, whereas Apocalypse is off the board for a while. But, you know, his last word is like, you know, I will see people again someday. And Catherine Britton's still dead. Betsy. And that's pretty much it. Um, well, and then, you know, Earlier on, Rock Slide is dead, and uh, I forget who else and such, um, and all the Hellions. I think an issue of Hellions came out this week, also an issue of X-Factor, but neither of those books I'm keeping up with on an issue-to-issue basis, so I'm not sure, you know, because Havoc is dead, you know, so-and-so is dead, though actually, I think most of the—well, most of them actually die on Kokomo, so I think they get brought back, I do not I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the crossover overall, it was kind of just fine. I mean, I don't know. It was fine. It was not at all what I expected, but it was kind of fun. I actually, though that being said, even though these were last week's books, I'm going to say despite my lack of enthusiasm, I enjoyed this more than the two biggest books we're talking about this week. And I'll kind of tease that as we transition into other stuff.
0: That's that's quite the take as we're right at the beginning of the show. Um, but I have to ask, are you sticking with the X-Men books? Am I coming back to the X-Men books? I think Marauders is out next week.
2: Well, I can't answer that. Your question for yourself. Um, right. I, I'm not really sure. I might give it like two weeks and then see if I give up um, because this does like you know, the status quo moving forward is not 100% clear, and it's also kind of interesting. And, like, I I, I was enjoying those books.
0: Um, yeah, I like Marauders a lot, and it looks like, at least from the covers, like, they're picking up the uh, the, the plot lines that we saw. So,
2: I don't know. I think I'm going to continue.
0: All right, well, with that, we'll get into uh, the Batman corner here with the 104 and then Batman
1: Cat one. Yee. So, our first DC issue is Batman number 104, written by James Tinian, art by Ryan Benjamin and Dave Danny Mickey, uh, Bangle and Ghulam March. apologize if I butchered anyone's name there. A lot of creators on this book, so that's always good to see. Uh, Batman is being stitched up by Ghostmaker. In Arkham, while Nightwing is busting up a robbery, and Nightwing provides some context to, I think, I guess that's Barbara. I'm not really sure. I forget from last issue, but he's talking to her about Batman and Robin's like first interaction with the Ghostmaker. And we kind of get some backstory on that and like how Batman and Ghostmaker were kind of like raised, I guess, together in martial arts and learned together. And once Bruce saw what Ghostmaker wanted to do with Gotham. Uh, he kind of like fought him and then they went their separate ways. I don't know, amicably, I guess <laughs> that's the word uh, back in Arkham clown Hunter and Harley Quinn wake up because all three of them were kind of taken hostage by the Ghostmaker. And after some arguments, uh clown Hunter actually breaks free from his like stretcher that he was strapped on and holds a sword over Harley's throat, which is where our issue ends. So, I wonder if the clown hunter is going to kill a clown. We'll have to wait until next issue or cl- cl- yeah, we're going to see the um, clown hunter is going to kill Harley. But yeah, I don't know if I want to stay on this book. Uh, I think we both decided that we're going to stick through this arc, but nothing really interesting. This issue to me, uh, just some more backstory. And I don't know, this guy doesn't really appeal to me that much. So
0: yeah, I, I, I've i been critical of the the James Tynan run a lot. I just, yeah, there's something about it that I'm just not liking. And then, you know, Ryan Benjamin, Danny Meekie, Bengal, and then Guillaume March all on the issue. I, I don't know why there's like four artists on this book. And then, you know, we got the cool Jorge Menace cover, but at the same time, like there's four artists on this book. Why aren't there just one? Clown Hunter's not that great. Uh, you know he's putting them in the situation of clown hunter can kill Harley so Batman has to stop him that's how clown hunter will prove that Batman's you know methods are wrong or whatever I'm still banking on that clown hunter is going to end up becoming like Harley's little sidekick or something the way they've been playing off each other at least that's what you know I'm thinking because there's no way clown hunter gets turned into another you know Batman sidekick that we don't care for it's just that that's like, he doesn't need another sidekick, you know? So, though, I'll say this, Dan. Uh, for pure speculation, you know, in January, we're getting Suicide Squad relaunched. and Harley's not part of the team, and that'll be the first time since 2011 that Harley isn't part of the Suicide Squad. So maybe she does die here. She probably won't, though. Like, she definitely isn't. But, you know, something to think about. But, yeah, this I'm I'm going to give this the arc and see what Elsie has planned. Cause this feels really filler, but I, I don't know, man. I just, yeah, there's something about it. I just don't like too many hens in the hen house. I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah. Um, it's not good,
0: but we'll, we'll get into Batman Catwoman where I'm sure Vince and I will, will we'll talk about this. This is Batman Catwoman number one, Tom King, Clayman, Mori. Uh, don't know what you guys thought, but, uh, this was definitely the Batman book I've been waiting for, uh, for a while, uh, I'm going to say first off Clayman's art here is gorgeous. I think he's upped his game on everything here from what we've seen from the beginning of his Batman work. And now uh, I think this is simply a masterpiece. It's just beautiful artwork here with the time of Warwick's colors. colors. Uh, I am curious to hear your guys takes on the more experimental transitions here as uh, we're, we're going with three running timelines, but I feel like they're very creative and keep the flow with the book, but I did have to like adjust to it at first. Because you know, there's no panel breaks, it's kind of layered on top of each other. It's experimental, but I think it's cool and looks. I mean, it depends on you know, your mileage may vary on that. Uh, King and Man have said that this is tail spinning from past, present, and future, and we get the heavy dose of that here as the timeline's constantly changing every few pages to lay the groundwork. The future that we at least know is that from you know, Batman Annual Number Two, where Bruce passes away surrounded by the Bat family that uh, King did, in, like I said, the annual with um, Lee Weeks. But the opening here is Andrea Beaumont coming to Bruce, asking her to find her son who's run away. And that's the present. And then the future, Selina's driving to the coast to meet an old friend. Uh, we'll get to who that is in a moment, but Batman and Catwoman fight the, uh, the actually the Batman animated series villain, Sewer King from the Underdwellers episode. And they learn that he was staying under the Wayne bridge, with a man who said he could take him to his father. And when Batman finds him, Andrew Belmont, who's the name of the son, is dead with the mark of the Joker. He's got the, you know, his face is white and he's got the Joker smile. The, so the issue I details Andrea's history with the Joker, like, fully referencing the events of Mask of the Phantasm, uh, the animated movie that, you know, ties in with the animated series. So, like, it you know, this is Black Label. They're adopting that here. Um, that fully happened the way it happened, it looks like. Um, And in the future, Selina tells this man he's meeting that Bruce is dead and he starts to kind of have a full down breakdown. And if you were keenly paying attention, he's got those green eyes and he starts laughing and he turns into the Joker. So since Bruce is gone, he's not there to stop Selina from what she's going to do to him for what he did to Andrea as he kind of begins to morph back into the Joker uh, with his clown laugh. And it looks like it it seems that Selina is going to kill him since Bruce isn't there to stop her now. Uh, Lots going on here. I think it's, you know, at this point, it's a very Tom King issue one. So strap in for 11 more parts of this. Get off now. If you don't like this, and if you don't like Tom King's Batman, you're probably not going to enjoy this. Or if you like Tom King more all in one and go, wait for the hardcover that'll be out. There's a lot of callbacks here to the movie, and like just the framing of certain sequences, like the ones with Alfred's rip right from the movie, uh, a lot of animated series callbacks here. Um, I think it's a beautifully spun web for me. I'm excited to see where it goes. But like I said, if you're not, like, if you don't like Tom King's Batman, and if, and Dan, I'm curious to hear from you, because, like, I think we were in the same room when Mask of the Phantasm was playing, but you told me you weren't paying attention. So I don't know how, you know, you're much familiar with you know, that movie and what's going on, but you at least read, you know, the latter half of Tom King's Batman, but I don't think you read the annual. So you're not even familiar with like the future that's already been set up in like different places here or there. Uh, Vince, I know you haven't read at least that issue and seen the movie. So let's, let's open it up to a little panel discussion and see some thoughts here. Gentlemen, Vince, you want to go first? Do you I want to let Dan go first? Cause I feel like it's going to be mostly you and me uh, back and forth here.
1: I think Dan Dan should go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just squeeze in my little two cents here. Uh, so number one, I definitely am going to read the second issue. Definitely want to read more about this. I don't know, there's just, just something about this, these characters. I, I like the chemistry with the two. There's a lot of cool moments in here where, I don't know, I just bought into the chemistry that this book is trying to obviously emphasize and go for. Um, I did not know about the sewer king being a, Uh, batman the animated series villains that's kind of cool to see that in like a mainstream comic i guess or series here i don't know i'll I'll see how it is but i like what i see so far i do like the little theme with like silent night playing throughout the whole thing kind of appropriate because it's december now so that's kind of cool but uh yeah that's really all i got i thought it was good so i'll let vince jump on his on his soapbox well i mean
2: i actually don't i don't think that i have a ton to say about this but first i'll have a question so the, yeah. steward, the sewer king th- there uh here yeah um so i believe he was created for the show maybe i think that's right yeah,
0: he was created for the show
2: um i'm sure he's appeared in comics before i'm sure this is not his I,
0: I looked it up he appeared in like one thing reimagined in the new 52 he's not really been yeah. used if at all i
2: mean yeah i mean he's kind of i actually feel like he's I mean, for some reason, I kind of in my head, I think of him similar to Ratcatcher. I well, guess Ratcatcher. Yeah, I guess Ratcatcher's in the sewers a lot. So maybe maybe they didn't use him because they're like, you know, he's kind of redundant. I don't know.
0: Well, they um, use him because the, the Sewer King has like his army of kids in the sewers with the underdwellers. Yeah. And then that's why. Well, here, well, here's the thing here.
2: So he's talking to Selena about this his, history they share. Uh, number one, I mean, if the Sewer King hasn't appeared in comics, obviously you know, that's a new thing in the comics, which I'll get to in a second, but is that part of her origin in the show, or do they ever, you know, delve into that?
0: No, it's, the, the whole thing with the Sewer King references her son, who's never referenced in the movie that's, that... No, no no,
2: but I'm saying, what I'm saying is the Sewer King references that Selina used to be one of his kids
0: Oh Oh, that... Book. I think that's a thing for here.
2: yeah. so that's I mean, I, I mean, if it is on the show that it doesn't make that much of a difference. But also, like that goes to the big, I mean, it's kind of pointless because of the future timeline and everything. but and also, I guess this is officially black label now. And this doesn't matter or maybe it does, but this book is not Canon. I mean, from the future oh. level, but also, if it was Canon, kind of low key. Tom King is changing Catwoman's origin, which is a huge, which is kind of a huge deal. I'm not super mad at it, but it's, it's, in, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to, to uh, consider, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. This book's not really officially canon. I mean, I don't think there is a canon at DC. Um, yeah,
0: it, I guess going to the canon thing, at least what they've said in interviews, it's the same thing that they're kind of leaning towards with, three jokers where like elements can are probably g- going to be taken like it's all based on sales you know whether you well, like three jokers or not it's sold a lot so someone eventually is going to take those elements and make part of it canon just with well, the same thing that's going to happen with this like and
2: with king the the ambiguity of it is is exactly the same as uh rorschach as well right now um it is interesting that he's you know he hasn't been on an ongoing title in at this point it's a while um and there's going to be this window where king is has three of these 12 issue black label books going at the same time which is kind of interesting yeah um because this is kind of his brand and he's now you know he has three at the same time um i mean the art is fantastic like i'm not gonna you know nitpick clay man at all it was you know stellar everything and and you know coloring
0: I, I think is, does Jim Lee better than Jim Lee.
2: I mean, it's not – I mean, he doesn't look like Jim Lee. I don't think he looks like Jim Lee, but kind of the there were general times aesthetic and stuff.
0: His Batman looks like him sometimes because they both give him the stubble. It doesn't look that much at all like now. It's changed a little bit.
2: Yeah, I mean the designs and stuff, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not the same – it's not a similar style really. Um, but, but my main thing here is I just think – and maybe it's because, you know, for the show, we're reading, and especially me, I'm usually kind of rushing through and always and late anyways. Um, I read a lot of these things last minute. Um, <laughs> but but like I and I think maybe he maybe he's maybe he's actually executing it well on a technical level, but the three parallel timeline stuff and the constant scene switching, and not, you know, I'm not talking page to page. I'm talking you'll have one page, you'll have, you'll have like three panels in a row that are all different timelines and stuff. I think maybe he's executing it well, but I just, I don't want anyone to execute this in any way in any comic ever. Like, I don't think it, it, uh, to be totally honest, this kind of made my head hurt. And I don't think, I don't think it's because I'm stupid. I just don't, I don't really think this is a super, you know, great way to pace any, you know, really any story.
0: No, I no, I, I, you, I that's a fair criticism. I think that works. i I had the same deal like i I, I read it twice um, because it like took me a few panels. like even when the preview images came out when we saw Alfred because like, I think the preview images end where Alfred first shows up, and you're like, "Wait, what's going on here? Alfred's dead. Um why yeah. is he standing there? So like it it does take some getting used to because it's like layered on top of each other and intersected the The pages look cool, but yeah, definitely the the flow of it. I don't know. It, I think it, I think it's the first time that because we read digitally um, that not having the actual pa- like physical copy. I'm wondering how it would look differently with two pages side by side than sync, sing- than say just, you know, the single page view of a digital reader.
2: Yeah, I mean, perhaps, but it's not like there's I don't know that that's kind of a that's a way broader, you know, idea of how we literally read comics with our eyes. But yeah, I mean, on um, the story itself, like I don't I mean, I can nitpick I mean, I'm nitpicking, well, I'm not nitpicking actually. I'm I'm criticizing the the execution of the beat-to-beat storytelling, but other than that, I don't really have much negative to say except for a couple Tom King nitpicks like, you know, when when huge chunks of the book are like, you know, he's basically using song lyrics as narration, like someone's, you know, singing a song to themselves and stuff like that. It's like, like, okay, it's kind of annoying to me. That's just like my weird pet peeve, but at least it's not fucking poetry like he did in some of his other stuff. So so far, but I mean, overall, like I, I like the annual, I like the uh, future, you know, timeline idea that King has put forward. Um, I don't fully understand, you know, the whole chronology of the Joker, which is, Perhaps introduced here for the first time, but I like the idea. It's he kind of is going for, especially with with Bruce Dead. He's basically going for like a Joker going sane kind of idea. Yeah, where you know the Joker's chilling out, you know, c- civilian mode. Um, also, as in addition to the Catwoman retcon, which doesn't matter because it's not canon. Um, also, I don't think we saw in previous. Peaks in this future timeline, there's a quick throwaway line that Helena Wayne in this timeline is gay. I don't think yeah. we knew that we didn't um, know that,
0: but like whatever,
2: yeah, I mean I, it does it doesn't matter. You know, alternate like like, like, timeline I really, of an alternate timeline,
0: yeah, I just hope we see Helena in the series show up, yeah I mean, we'll with like one panel or so, like yeah, one the, in costume then one out of costume.
2: With the structure of this first issue in particular, you know, I have no fucking clue where this series is going. Yeah, same. I have no and clue. On, and on that note, I, I think I'm with Dan, and and I obviously with you. I think I am going to keep reading this, um, but I don't know if I'm going to like it overall. But the but the tragic thing is, I is I don't not like it based on the story or anything.
0: Oh, I thought you were not going to like it based on the story.
2: No, That's what no, I I really just don't like this based on the way the story is arranged. Yeah. I really wish, like, I honestly think if you just, you know, cut up this book and put it in, you know, at least closer to something else where it's like this full page is this timeline. And then here's a caption where we're transitioning. Yeah. I think, it, and and it's, it, you know, it's subjective, but I, well, everything's subjective, but I think I would enjoy it a lot more that way.
0: No, it that's a fair criticism. It's it it's certainly a different style to to the way it's done. Dan, did how how did you feel about the the transitioning timelines kind of rapidly? Like was it hard to adjust at first for you? Like it was for me and it definitely was for Vince.
1: Yeah, I mean, like Vince said it's it's one thing to like change from page to page and use like narration to help make the transition easier, but yeah, there's times where it's like, okay, we're literally jumping around within one page, and it's like, there's no context, there's no like, there's nothing. There's there was a few times where there was nothing to tell you that you were jumping around. So I'm just like, like at first I'm like, is this like an older like woman or like you know that also has the name of like I don't know that was all well, to assume, but it's like, you know, there's no there's no real good within a panel at times like, like when Alfred showed up. I was like
2: I'm like I'm fucking confused.
0: Yeah, like like it's because Alfred shows up right as Bruce is like, oh, Alfred is past.
2: It's Since the same like, panel.
0: Yeah, it's in the same panel. But then like he's there and it's they, they do the scene from Phantasm where in the movie he walks in on Bruce and Andrea, but in the comic it's Bruce and Selena in bed. So it they do the same kind of thing. He brings the food and he's like, Oh, they're doing their thing, let me leave. Um they do that, but like yeah, it's it's it was jarring at first. I, I tried to like think, like, is there a color hint to let us know? Because most of the pre- scenes set in the present are like at night with blue. But then that doesn't work because the first scene is Bruce talking to Andrea, and it's next to the fire. so there's like very reds and oranges. And then all of the stuff in the future is in that, you know coastal town that Selena' is at, and it's bright and sunny. So at least with that, I was like, all right, bright and sunny, old Selina, that's the key of, okay, future. But, like, from past to present, and now, to be fair, past is, like, definitely the least timeline we've seen here from the first issue. Um, like, there was no, like, trying to juggle hints here or not, or anything. That was the the most, you know, complicated version of it. But, I mean, final thoughts on this? Like, I liked it. I think we're all continuing with it, but we'll see how it goes. I, I None of us know where the story's going. Yeah. I'll
2: I'll just make one quick weird comparison that I've kind of been going back and forth on in my head. This kind of feels, and obviously King has been experimental with format, with storytelling. Um, but this issue, it kind of feels like I'm reading a Christopher Priest comic in certain ways.
0: Yeah, I can that see that. That was like
2: the weird comparison I was thinking. Of. All yeah. right, but we can move along.
0: Uh, I'd say as a final criticism, I'm not super stoked about more Joker, but that's just because of all the other content. Is in, in a fairness to King, he hasn't really used the Joker that much.
2: Yeah, and Clayman's kind of going for like the, uh, like the beach Joker killing joke kind of vibe, and yeah. uh, he draws the Joker pretty well.
0: Oh, his 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 Joker when he shows up in King's Run is like legitimately terrifying. <laughs> so, I. All of that, uh, Black Widow had a hell of an ending, Vince. Well, I don't –
2: well, this – yeah, this issue had an ending. Uh, There's an issue to come, I believe. Um, Actually, I think it's ongoing. But, yeah, Kelly Thompson, Elena Casagrande, and a special appearance with artist Carlos Gomez in some sequences. So Nat isn't dead. That was kind of the tease at the end. The last issue, she gets her memories back and now has to escape with her husband and son. Yelena helps them. And the villains, after one of them sabotaged their whole plan, they're basically stuck here. So their new plan is to try and truly kill uh, Nat. And then we get the backstory dump from Nat where she explains to her quote-unquote husband, hey, uh, let me tell you who I am and what happened here. So 14 weeks ago, she was tranked, and he was also kidnapped, subject. So we don't really get any backstory on him. I don't think it matters he doesn't really have any backstory unless they want to pull a huge twist on that level later on. They both have these implanted memories of this long life together and, and history and education and jobs and everything like that. And Stevie is a, is a test tube baby. And I feel like I was like, I, it doesn't matter, but like I wanted just a, one or two more sentences of explanation about Stevie because it's implied like they've been together for at least a little bit. Like a month and stuff, so Stevie, you know they've seen him age and grow and stuff like that. I don't know. I wanted a little bit more explanation there, um, but I guess he was test tube, and then, like basically out of the test tube, he's like pretty far in his development, so they must have sped up his growth if this was only fourteen weeks ago, and then they've and then I guess now he's on a normal track. um so they they end up in a safe house, and Hawkeye and winter soldier loop in. And then we get essentially kind of the train hitting the story, sort of, Um, this is me kind of exaggerating things. Um, Retcon isn't the right word, but here's how, you know, Kelly Thompson basically creates the hole to get out of this, you know, the premise for this series. How to untie the knot that she's created, um, where Natalia basically says, hey, you have to take this baby and never see me again. You can't even think of me. You can't, you know. I never existed in your life, even though we have, you know, technically this biological child between us, which we did spend serious time together and with the child. So suddenly this book is being written by Joe Quesada, or at least that's my, you know, hissy fit version of it. And like, our, whatever. I mean, she's a super spy. She deals with Hydra and stuff like that. You know, she's not Spider-Man necessarily. But, you know, Spider-Man is dealing with carnage, which is kind of sort of sort of relevant. Um, to a book later, but like, like just figure it out, Black Widow. Like you can have a husband and this baby, like, is, and you can still be a superhero. Just you know, Kelly Thompson. Just figure it out. Not that big of a deal. Superman does it, and that's referenced in you know, Black Lightning does it, and those are referenced in a book we'll get to later. But that point may be moot because at the end of this issue, there's some kind of explosion, and it seems that maybe James and Stevie have just been killed. Uh, I would be surprised if they have actually just been killed at the end of this issue, um, though that would be a very easy way to clean this light, though that would, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that's kind of some fridging. I mean, not fridging in the traditional sense, but um, yeah, I mean, that's where we end here. Carlos Gomez, I think he's a nice contrast to the flashback scenes or at least half of them. I think he's really good in the in the ones that are superhero related. He doesn't shine as much in the domestic scenes between Nat, Stevie, and, and James, um, but he's still good there. But he's kind of getting typecast hard. I think it's funny that they pulled him in to guest some pages on this book because kind of his breakout, you know, I don't know what he did before. This. I, he's obviously a foreign artist. I think he's from Spain. But his breakout mainstream book was Red Sonia, and then he did Amazing Mary Jane, and now he's doing pages in Black Widow and obviously he doesn't color his own work so his three biggest projects to date i think he had some weird other marvel thing in between or something but it's all redhead chicks which i think is just coincidentally funny um and then i just want to point out that there's a splash page of her of black widow kind of considering all the villains and people who could be involved in this plot and there's some oddball choices on that page like electra's on there like you know, is Electra going to try and, and, and that's actually, you know, also kind of sort of relevant to a book later. Um, Especially when they get to talking about that book, you know, is Electra going to kidnap Black Widow, implant memories, create a baby for her to, to get her off the board. And then Ultron's on that page. Like is Ultron pulling this plot on Black Widow <laughs> kind of funny, but this book is, you know, pretty good. I'm kind of wary about how the developments move forward with James and uh, Stevie, but I'm also not like a super humongous black widow fan with like, you know, 700 issues of development in the character. So I'm not going to freak out, you know, if James and Stevie disappear from this book. Um, but it's kind of a lazy writing in in a sense, to be honest.
0: I agree. But also like, with Black Widow, like, I can buy that, you know, she's a super spy. People do know who she is, and there's always someone who is tracking her. So, like, she was doing it for more of the protection of, you know, her husband and uh, the kid. But it, it also, to, to, to talk about your one criticism, it seemed that they were at least, you know, given implanted memories or something. So that's, that's what that seemed like. But, you know, the Atlanta Casagrande art, man, still good. Those fight sequences are really, really good. And then, you know, I that was like one of the, that was a huge shocking ending to me for like, okay, they're going to get off the board. No, then they just get mortared to death. At least, you know, it seems that way. I It's hard to, you know, buy that as a death because it is show shocking. But, you know, with the looks on everyone else's faces in the room, like, holy shit, is the, is the kind of the, you know, it helps me buy that maybe they are dead. Like, that's a huge, like, deal to happen in only issue four. But, you know, I enjoyed the book. Daniel?
1: I think this is a good escalation of like what we've already seen and a little bit weird to like see here that like the whole thing was just like a a test tube and like brainwashing kind of like is, I don't know. I guess there's only four issues for that to last, that mystery to last until we kind of found out what it all was about. And now it's just like, okay, now we can get on with the actual black widow story, whatever that entails going forward. But I don't know. It's kind of, kind of let down there wasn't more to that type of that, that that backstory there but i guess it is what it is i guess they wanted to get to a point where they can start actually using her as a character and write off all the extra characters that we have in the book
0: well it I- definitely gives some motivation for it it's um i don't think but like i said i don't think they're gone forever i think there's something else going on here maybe they have powers no maybe we don't know yet <laughs> could happen Um. But I think I, I think this is one of the books, by the way, that's like off the slate in like February for solicitation. So I don't know what's happening with this book. This might be like, you know, one of those ongoing. So that's only like, you know, one trade long. Who knows? Or they like relaunch it after. We'll see. But uh, I mean, I hope it doesn't end. I am enjoying this. But uh, more Marvel snapshots, Dan.
1: Yeah. So our next issue is Civil War Marvel snapshots. Number one. Written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Ryan Kelly. So in Toledo, Ohio, a couple of Samus-looking Shield people show up to arrest a hero by the name of the Helper. So they track down the kid when uh, we introduce when we are introduced to Clyde who who is one of these Shield agents who caught the Helper. So this kid, he's being transported back to you know the holding cell. We then get some flashbacks of Clyde's life as he was growing up, as well as when he watched Nitro on TV with his his son, which as all of us here know that that was the event that triggered um, the Civil War in the comics um, at Stanford, Connecticut. And uh, Clyde then signed up for his special ops unit in S.H.I.E.L.D. um, under the uh, Superhumans Rights or. Registration Act, excuse me. Uh, And his first task was actually to take down Cap, which was a hero that he admired. So he kind of had some hesitation there, and he was demoted um, back to Toledo, Ohio to kind of do the security detail there. So we then go back to the present when Clyde has a discussion with the helper in prison, and then we get a flashback of the helper's life. So we see this young boy growing up. I forget what his name is off the top of my head, but... Uh, his powers allowed him to basically, like, fix things, you know, take the metal out of, like, water, f- like, treat the water pretty much for his nearby people, fix, like, a pothole. So, you know, it kind of brings some uh, human aspects to the whole Civil War, you know, conflict, and kind of shows that not all heroes are, are evil and stuff like that. So, yeah, the Helper then recounts a story with Cap that hits home with Clyde, so he actually was saving like this one chemical place and Cap shows up and helps him. And that really stuck with the helper because he's like, you know, Cap's willing to go out of his way to help me, even though he's a wanted fugitive by the government. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Another S.H.I.E.L.D. agent comes by and drops off a teenage girl. And Clyde kind of like comes to and realizes that like what he's doing for S.H.I.E.L.D. is not right. And so he breaks both the kids out of the prison and he calls his son who is actually with his mother who they're divorced. So he's calling his, his son as the uh, sun is rising and the two kids are escaping. So, and he's pretty sure that he's going to lose his job or be sent to jail, but uh, he thought it was worth it. Um, I think this is definitely one of the better um, snapshot issues. Uh, I would say it's probably one of my favorite, actually of the punch, um, you know, I think there's some that maybe might edge it out, but this is definitely not bad at all. The story is kind of cool. Definitely kind of brings some realism to the whole thing. You know, aside from just the actual superheroes, we see kind of how shield agents and how the actual heroes who get captured kind of what they go through. So I like this. I thought this was good. And uh, the art by Ryan Kelly, I thought was pretty on point too. So what'd you guys think?
2: Uh, I really enjoyed this.
1: It was,
0: Really? Yeah. I was I, like, it was fine. Yeah.
2: I thought this was great, um, but there's kind of a uh, there's kind of an asterisk to it. I thought this was a really fascinating story. It's a great way to look at Civil War and everything like that, with the caveat that it just really underlines how s- just massively stupid of a story Civil War was, um, both the story itself, but also that they would even you know do it in the first place. I mean, because the problem is, I mean, this, you know, this kind of story was the inevitability of doing civil war, because the minute you do civil war, you know, you take any ounce of realism, you think about it seriously. You know, what does happen when there is like a 12 year old, you know, with superpowers who's just literally just trying to do very minor good stuff? And there, and during the story, you during Civil War, you kind of had an angle on that. I mean, that's kind of the position the Young Avengers were in. But like this, in particular, you know, you tell a story like this, it just shows how I don't know. This just made me hate Civil War so much more. But the actual story here, you know, once you accept Civil War was a thing, you know, I can't delete it from, you know, history. Uh, this was a really great look and and kind of a middle finger to civil war in a way or 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 you can interpret it that way on in a meta sense
0: yeah my, my thing with it was like it was fun like i've seen this story before there was nothing different here other than like it shed light on a story that none of us really like like but i i thought the art was just like okay this is like i guess the third like issue in a row that i'm like these were fine, like that. I haven't loved them since the Cyclops issue, so you know that's where we're at with that. But yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I I don't know what the next one is, but I think this was was a, was an addition. I don't think this was an originally in the bunch, but um, you know that all it does is make right me think of like the one Marvel House ad when Civil War was going on. Or it was just like the little girl flying in the sky getting uh, reprimanded by these S.H.I.E.L.D. agents going like, are you registered? And she was like 10. So it's like you're going to make a 10-year-old register because it has superpowers. Yeah, it's like you said, it brings up all those those questions of logic back and realize why that story doesn't really work. But with that, I'll talk about a a book that's just big, dumb, stupid fun. But damn, is it fun and enjoyable. Um, And DC's Dead Planet number six. this is tom taylor who i believe celebrated a birthday this week so happy birthday tom taylor and then trevor Hairstein. uh which you know not much to say at this point this is the second to last issue uh and i'll say hey the good uh the heroes have found a cure for and synthesized it um for the anti-life virus uh the bad is the the penguin and professor ivo have unleashed their army of amazes destroy all of the anti-life on earth uh that people you know that they're trying to, that the heroes are trying to save. So now it's kind of like a race against time to cure as many people as possible. So the Amazos don't target them, so they get Wallace West, who's like the last Flash that's left alive, uh, to start racing around the world and try to, you know, spread the cure around as fast as possible. And then also Trigon's coming, as we've seen that being built up. And then John Constantine has to put kind of his shadow, his shadow-packed plan into full effect as Zatanna discovers it. So with the help of Phantom Stranger and Etrigan, they take the helmet of Dr. Fate as kind of like their last weapon that Constantine needs. So he's got the Cloak of Ragman, the staff of the Wizard Shazam and the crystal ball of Madam Xanadu and the Spear of Destiny. So he's like souped himself up with all the super magical items in the DCU. And now he's going to go ahead in a suicide mission to go try, try to stop uh, Trigon from invading the earth, earth and uh, taking it over. Uh, really great plotting here by Taylor. Who's having everything build up in impact and kind of, you know, culminate here in the penultimate issue which uh i think i don't know if we're gonna near, get near the end of the year we'll talk about favorite books of the year but th- i think this is very entertaining and easily one of my favorite books if not my favorite book in uh, dc in 2020 so i'm very excited to see how uh he ties it all together with the ending and then we'll see what's next for tom taylor at dc um but daniel let's talk about daredevil we missed issue 24 last week uh but it ended with matt murdoch going to jail so he's in jail now and uh marco chiquetto returns in issue 25 so well we'll see what's what's next for matt murdoch here
1: yes matt uh did not pass go he did not collect 200 he went right to jail so i guess someone's gonna try to bail him out but our next issue here is daredevil number 25 written by chip Zdarsky, art by marco chiquetto Colors by Marcio Menez. Our issue opens to a flashback in a snowy cabin with Matt and Electra chilling. That's the PG version of what I am describing. And then go to a montage of Electra killing hand members because what else is she supposed to do in a daredevil comic? Am I right? Electra breaks into the prison to talk to Matt and, um, She gets catcalled the whole time as she goes to his cell. So we kind of, we get her in her traditional costume. So she gets to his cell and kind of talks to him about this whole plan about the hand and how the, uh, the book that she found with stick and how this book requires a king and queen to take down the hand. And uh, Electra basically wants um, Matt to be her king. So pretty forward of her but anyways um he's like nah i don't want to do that i'm just gonna go lock myself back up in this prison but good luck so she ends up going out there uh she leaves the prison um almost kills a guy uh she gives a necklace to a bum so that she can i guess sell it for money and then basically just becomes daredevil so we get a one-page splash of her costume as daredevil and uh as Mike wrote here, uh, definitely, we both agree, it's a very awesome-looking costume. If you get a chance to look it up, definitely do so. Uh, it's a really cool art decision there, I guess, design decision decisions. So really excited to see how long this period of Daredevil lasts. I'm not sure if it's just going to be this like one-time thing or whatever, but she stops the robbery as we also get some more backstory on the book and the requirement for a king and queen as we see Daredevil kind of, or Matt, walking away in the prison back to his cell, I guess, or wherever he's going in the cell. So this series, as we've talked about, at nauseum now is amazing and continues to keep me interested and coming back for more. Uh, I would say this is possibly a, a very uh, contentious contender for pick of the week. Uh, this has been a great series. And if this doesn't get an omnibus, I don't know what will because this is up there with the other great uh, Daredevil runs of recent memory. So, yeah, that's my synopsis of DD number twenty-five.
0: Yeah, uh, first of all, like the woman was homeless because her husband died. So I don't know what you're talking about there. Oh, sorry, I guess he's not bummed then. No, what is wrong with you? You're I'm sorry. Apologize to the to the homeless lady that Elektra just saved. I apologize to a fictional character. There you go. Um, No, I I like the Elektra. The whole decision is like because she ended up, you know, at it. The whole reason why Matt went to prison is because he saw that Hell's Kitchen would be saved when you know he thought Tony Stark could uh, get Hell's Kitchen bought, but it ends up he lost the bet and it was like who some other buyer. And then in the courtroom. Uh, Electra was like whispering and Matt heard it so it was Electra who bought uh, Hell's Kitchen with the money that she stole back earlier in the run so this is all part of her plan to get like Matt on her side so she's like alright I'll show you how uh, how you can trust me I'll become Daredevil while you're in prison also Dan I thought it was pretty funny that uh, I guess Riker's also because he has to stay in the mask because he went to jail as Daredevil they gave him an orange mask to put on his orange Uh, prison jumper which i thought was hilarious
1: oh i actually i just thought it was just a coloring but yeah that's actually kind of funny now i think about it
0: yeah i I don't know if it was supposed to be red but they they were too similar to the point where it just seemed like it was an orange mask he got (laughs) for being in prison so yeah i'm excited to see where it goes but also at the same time it's like oh he's gonna lead the hand again so we've seen what zadarsky's doing so it's like oh you did the bendis thing where he's going to jail the end of brubaker he leads the hand so is he just, like, playing the greatest hits but, like, spinning it in a different way? I, I don't really know because also we have Typhoid Mary here, too, that's involved with Fisk. Um, she wasn't in this issue. She was in issue 24, though. But, yeah, I mean, no, I'm not – you know, undeniably this is great. Uh, Chiquetto has been fantastic. But I do want to know, like, what exactly else is going to happen here because is Sidorski just spinning the web again? But doing it differently i think there i mean there's definitely tones of that but no i'm i'm highly enjoying it and like yeah for example like if um you know as far as pick of the week's concerned this could arguably be like the 1b to the 1a pick i at least i feel this week um and this is the big speculator boom because of the new Electra costume and oh she's the new daredevil so that's the clickbait headline of the video who's the new daredevil oh it's Electra. <laughs> yeah so uh, and then we'll stay with you for uh, chris cantwell's Uh, Fantastic Four Road Trip. We liked the beginning of Dr. Doom. We like his Iron Man. Dan, do you like Fantastic Four?
1: I actually kind of liked this issue. It was slow at times, but overall, I thought it was a good story. But anyways, I'll get into it. So our next issue is Fantastic Four Road Trip number one, written by Chris Cantwell with art by Felipe Andrade. So on the second page, we are already rolling the credits. As we see the Fantastic Four driving in a station wagon to the Grand Canyon. Uh, well, I think Reed mentions road trips. So roll credits. We already are there. So anyways, they're going to the Grand Canyon and they want to stop. Not they. Reed wants to stop at a crater to gather some dirt samples aided by Franklin's powers, who we kind of get some backstory on how he didn't really like doing that um, later on once they get to the cabin. But uh, anyways, the group gets to the cabin. They go to sleep. And, uh, they, Reed stays up to like 2.38 in the morning, I think, to do studying, which, I mean, for somebody who is on vacation, like why the hell would you stay up that late? But anyways, uh, I guess that's Reed for you. So anyways, the next day, Ben and Alicia stop by the Grand Canyon. Valeria and Sue go out and like kayaking and stuff like that. And during this like whole thing, I think also Reed and – Franklin kind of stay at the house and just chill and do their separate things. So during like this time out, like the things like rocks start to fall off his body. Uh, Reed or um, Valeria. I'm sorry. Sue starts to like lose her flesh and like her body starts to basically disappear. And like Valeria starts to like turn back into like a baby Uh, at one point, even pooping herself. So Sue's like, what the heck's going on here? Uh, Reed discovers that the soil he collected is actually from a planet called Spire and that the group has been set up and poisoned. So basically this is like making all of their like powers go nuts. And Reed is also like melting. So like instead of stretching, he's basically melting apart, which is kind of interesting to see. I mean, the art here by Felipe is actually really cool. Um, You know, there's a lot of like cool moments with like the art where they're just like all going nuts and like, they're like, cabin's going crazy, too. It's, like, turn all different types of ways. So, so much crazy shit happens, and the group tries to leave the area. Uh, the group then, like, combines themselves together for some reason. And I guess that does the trick because they emerge from, like, this fire cloud that's the mad thinker, who was the person who planted all this in the first place by poisoning the soil in the crater. Uh, he gets kind of, like, blown up and taken out really quickly like within like the last page or two of the, of the issue. But um, I kind of liked it. I thought, Like I said, the pacing was kind of good. There was some times where I felt like it was a little bit slow, but, and the art was very unique, very interesting for this type of book. Nothing like seeing Reed with a five o'clock shadow. Which I thought was kind of funny, but, and the ending is hilarious too. They're on their way to some other place. And he's like, Oh, can we stop and get tests samples of this dirt soil? And everyone's like, no, And he's like, what? I need it for science. And then and there was like, no, we're not doing that. So I thought this was a cute, cute little story. Yeah. What'd you guys think?
0: No, this is a real fun one shot. The Felipe Andrade art was terrific. And then uh, I think this is a three for three for us for Cantwell. We like Dr. Doom, even though we fell off of it. We really like Iron Man. And then we like this. So at least, well, me and you like this. Vince will give his thoughts in a second, but I think he liked it as well. But no, this was, this was really fun. As far as like a throwaway, you know, one shot, this was really, really good.
2: Yeah, I really love this on the the body horror angle. And also I think Cantwell gets all the characters' voices pretty well. Um, On the nerd level, I think this takes place sometime after 18, but before 21 in the main series. Because the Empire Empire kids aren't here with, uh, you know, Thing and Alicia. And Franklin still has, more importantly, Franklin still has his powers. I, there, there's a cross section page that shows everyone doing their own thing in the house. And that's just like a perfect page. Like I might have to check the, uh, the, the, uh, dimensions on that and stuff and see if I can, you know, work it as a, a phone background or something. Um, see what that looks like, but overall, I I thought this was perfect. I mean, I think this is, uh, I'll reveal later, but I think this is definitely a, a contender. One of the best books of the week.
0: Yeah, I th- I would agree. It's it was up there for me. It was a welcome surprise, uh, too. I mean, I I thought it was going to be good. You know, liking Cantwell stuff, and then Dan, I, I I'll ask you: Are you excited for the Doctor Doom and Iron Man team up to save Christmas for the the upcoming King and Black one shot for Christmas time? The Hell's yeah! yeah I'm very oh, I'm ex- the- excited for that.
1: I love team ups with Doom and Iron Man.
0: No, this is, this is really, really good. And yeah, Vince's, that, that, that cross-section page was just simply gorgeous. But uh, we'll, we'll stay with him as, uh, hey, Firepower came out this week too.
2: Yes, Firepower number six by Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney, Matt Wilson. So the old dude who showed up at the end of the last issue, he is here, jumped through the window, he gets in a huge misunderstanding fight with Owen, our main character, and then basically drops an info dump on him. A lot of this is related back back to the prelude that both Dan and I didn't read, Um, but it's about the differing clans and allegiances, and there's a literal dragon involved, and then the bad guys crash the party, and they seem to kill the old man, but just like in Black Widow, I highly, highly doubt that, or or maybe he's dead and there's some ninja thing that gets him back alive. Um, Our main family is on the run again, and I think at the end here they run into... Are you running into Owen's dad? I think,
0: or is it the wife's father? I think it's Owen. I think, it's, I, think I think it's Owen's father-in-law. I think that's Kelly Kelly's father. At least that's what I seen, because he had blonde hair like Kelly does. But I think, but he work, but Owen works with him, right? I think that's his day job or something. Uh, Owen, I think, works with his. No, Owen works at like a furniture restoration store, and I think his dad is just. I think his dad's retired.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I actually don't really feel that I have a ton to say here in terms of the action and excitement, what I'm about to say isn't super accurate. I mean, this issue is very exciting and, and, you know, there's, it's fun and and the art by Samney, especially in the action is amazing. As we say, every issue, but in terms of chronology, I feel like the series has actually slowed down in a literal sense, the past few issues. Um, I think the first two or three issues you actually kind of felt like, Each issue was, you know, it could serve as its own story. At least that's what I remember. I'm pretty sure that's how one of the compliments I made towards the series. But these past two or three issues, that's not the case. Like this issue kind of doesn't work on its own. Like if you didn't read one through five, I mean, obviously, you know, for any comics, you wouldn't expect to understand all the characters and relationships and everything like that, reading an issue out of context. But there's not really a complete story here in this issue, um, which, granted, makes it on the same level as 95% of mainstream comics. And it's not even a bad thing, but I just think it's interesting to point that out. And I don't really have much else to say. It's still you know, a fantastic series.
0: Yeah, this is, by the way, this concludes what would be the second trade because the, the, the OGN is labeled uh, volume one. I believe, or it's either volume one or volume zero. So essentially, this is volume the end of volume two, any way you look at it. And yeah, the last two three issues, um, it, it's been a lot of action and not a lot advancing. And I'm kind of now flirting. We I talked about this the way I I read Robert Kirkman. I think this is might be the get off point where like, okay, I'm roped in. I'll go back to it when it's you know done and they throw those compendiums out or hardcovers or whatever way they're going to collect this. And uh, maybe I'll jump in again that way just because I want more now. And it's a very selfish reason, but it's also because like, we do very much love this series. If we were to put together a, you know, top five new books for this year, this I feel would definitely be in our top three, easily top five. But at the same time, it is definitely stalled and I don't know how fast it's going to advance again. I don't think uh, the master is quite dead yet. He's too good of a character to get rid of them this fast. And I even I think Kirkman says that in the little conversations that he has between Sammy and the back of the book. But yeah, I, I'm flirting with this being my exit point for now. Maybe you'll come back and uh, recap it later on down when more things start to pick up and more action gets, uh, I mean, more action would be crazy enough that it's already packed full. But like when more plot advances, maybe I'll check in. I don't know yet, but this is definitely the the part where I'm thinking about it.
1: Yeah, I think for me it just feels like I don't know if it's just me thinking like this, but like I have a hard time trying to like envision like what type of plot this goes with after this whole like plot line story arc is done. Like it seems to me like this is I don't know, it just feels like it's not really built for like a long run, but I could be wrong. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's kind of like you know, I just feel like this story might be over in the next 6 issues, but then it's like Where do you kind of go from there with the characters? I don't know. It's but yeah, like you said, I think this is like the perfect point where I'm just like, okay, I know a little bit about the book now. I can jump off and like still be surprised on what happens later on because I basically haven't read like the third act of this arc, whatever this that is. So
0: Yeah, it's and I like I said, it's fully for selfish reasons because I'm just accustomed to reading Kirkman's work all in those big chunks. That's how I've you know, come with it. So it's not because we don't like it if we if we decide to get off it. I think everyone should know that. It's because we like it, but I, I'm not entirely sure yet. But if we have nothing else to say, I'll get into Thor, which is, hey, the first of uh, two Donnie Cates books on the show this week, We we know the next one. Uh, but this is Donnie Cates, Nick Klein, Matt Wilson. Hey, it's that Thor team that I really, really like. Donald Blake's kind of just like running loose and rampant all over Asgard as, uh, you know, he's crazy. And uh, the history is kind of rewritten here as he realizes he was never really a real doctor or person, but merely a creation by Odin as an outlet for him to learn, at least him being Thor, uh, to learn humanity. And he was just kind of a vessel for that. So he's kind of exacting revenge on that for never truly being real. And he takes Yornborn and uh, starts basically just laying house to all the, the Asgardian warriors here. He takes out Beta Ray Bill and, like, sucks up his power, like, rendering him just, like, to his normal state. And then he proceeds to break down the Warriors 3 and Sif, and then he makes his way to Earth, where, he, like, he gives himself a, a cut and a shave, and he meets Jane Foster as uh, Thor is still stuck in, like, Donald Blake's realm, and he's going to have to fight the the serpent inside the world tree. Some more fun stuff here. Uh, I'm excited to see where we're going to go with Donald Blake. And, uh, oh, what's he going to do with Jane Foster? Because I don't think Donald Blake would know that Jane's been Thor before and uh, is Valkyrie right now. So I'm interested to see how that's going to going to shake out. But once again, Nick Klein, Matt Wilson's art, perfect pairing. Donny Cates, I trust what he's doing at this point, as I'm a huge Donny Cates fan now. So not, you know, taking up much more time. I'm liking this. Let's uh, talk about the end of the first arc of
1: That Texas Blood. Yes, so our next issue is that Texas Blood number six, written by Chris Condon with art by Jacob Phillips. Our issue opens to Randy sitting by himself when Sarah walks in and tries to talk him out of what he's about to do. We kind of get some allusion to what that is uh, with him looking at a uh, revolver. Uh, meanwhile, the old cop, I forget what his name is, I apologize, he talks to Sarah in a diner, so he kind of pulls her in there, and he's talking to her, and then we quickly pan back to Randy, who has gone to the Lost Soul Bar, and starts shooting up the place, and kills, I think, like, three people, and he just goes out to the outside of the bar and just sits down, and I guess just waits to be arrested, so, and I believe he's hes killed the person he, he believe has killed his brother. Uh, So he's arrested. He's taken to the station where he's actually informed that Sarah of all people is the one who actually killed his brother. And he's a hard time believing this until the cop tells him like, look, she basically confessed. So that's the end of that Uh, somewhere else. I think it's, I believe that's Randy's girlfriend. She's like looking through some stuff and she's just trying to process about everything that's happening with Randy and what's going on with him. And this guy that was back at the bar that like stole some money he takes his money to somebody else like this. I forget what his name is, but uh, he takes him to this guy and this guy shoots him and basically takes his money. He's like "Call in the dry cleaner and get all this blood cleaned off off the rug, please. I'm like, wow, if you were to, why wouldn't you just like shoot him somewhere else? Anyways, uh, whatever. Uh, (laughs) So at the very end of this whole thing, um, the uh, Sarah and Randy get transferred to County and the cop has this little cat jump into his car, and he's like, "Well, it looks like Martha's gonna like have to deal with bringing a new cat home." So uh, that's the end of the story. And the issue the, the issue ends with a nice splash page at the end of kind of like some Texas cliffs, and I don't know if that's like the actual thing or whatever, but we also kind of see some pretty cool art and colors going on there by Jacob Phillips. So. Yeah, kind of a tragic and sad end to this storyline. But throughout it all, we've kind of had this character, you know, this cop. I forget what his name is. Mike's going to tell you about it in the comment or shortly here. But uh, yeah, kind of cool to see that, that that cop has been throughout this whole process and has kind of been that that person that we've been with along this whole journey. So curious to see what the next story arc holds for us for this uh, issue or this series. And uh, I like it. I like it a lot. So what'd you guys think?
0: Yeah, it was good. I, I, I do have to say, I think you glossed over some bits. Like he killed the Terrells because yeah, he thought they killed his brother, but also like, this is a slow descent into madness for Randy who that was our main character. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sheriff Joe Bob was just kind of our, our vessel into Ambrose County, Texas where this is all set. Mm-hmm. And uh, And we'll get into Joe Bob in a second is like, I, I like Joe Bob. He's a fun character, especially the way that he's played here. And then what, what Conan has played for him next. This was, like I said before, this was his script, uh, film script that got turned into a comic book. I think the ending, it felt like the ending is a little rushed between issues five and six upon a reread. we'll uh, I'll re- reevaluate that um, when I eventually have the trade in front of me, but this was good. I I think the ending just slightly convoluted a little bit, but not, not a lot. Um, uh, with the, it was, it was the waitress that did it. Um, I thought that was good, but yeah, the, the whole stealing the money thing, that was super rushed, but also like if I was watching it on a movie screen, I could be fine with it. Like it just felt, you know, weird laid out in a comic book, uh, kind of just like inserted in there. But this does conclude the end of the first trade. I do want to know if we're ever going to get back to the, the cliffhanger of, they mentioned the third body that, you know, Randy didn't kill that one. Uh, which was way back at the beginning of the book. And that first issue, they, they strapped that to him too, but he didn't do that. So uh, as he's left questioning that as he's getting carried off Uh, the, the black cat that we see Joe Bob get, I don't know if that can't not be an ominous thing of, you know, that's just Ambrose County, Texas with bad luck, maybe uh, to infer that. I think it's the easy uh, thing you can infer here, but Hey, this is the end of the proper first arc, and it sold well with high success. Like the first four issues uh, went all to second printings. I think the fir- th- first issue went to a third or fourth one. Uh, but Condon has said he has pl- uh, he has plans to stay with uh, Ambrose County, Texas. And next arc, we're going to 1981 with Joe Bob just being a deputy, and maybe he's taking a more kind of key notice here. So he's going for that anthology approach, which I think is the smart way to go, especially when. Uh, we, he formally wrote that in the back matter material that he has like 30 issues planned. If we get 30 issues, who knows, but like, I am kind of down for like Joe Bob's our vessel into Ambrose County and we can get stories with the, you know, we've kind of having, we have a base of characters, but he can add to it in different ways, kind of like criminal where we have the, you know, the family of characters there, but no, I like this. Uh, Jacob's art was good. His coloring I think is better than his artwork that is pencil work, but that's not an issue. His pencil work is still very good, but yeah, I'm excited to see what comes. I hope, I hope Jacob stays on the book. Who knows if he's going to, you know, stay in for the long haul just like Chris does. I feel like eventually there might be an art change here, but no, for for right now it was a very good first six issues and debut for uh, Chris Con and Jacob Phillips. Me and Dan, will talk about a book that's, uh, Dan, I'll just leave you here for it because uh, I begin my rundown with, uh strange Adventures number seven, Tom King, Mitch Garretts, and T- D- Evan Doc Sheener. I have uh a question for you, Dan. Do you understand what's happening in this issue?
1: <laughs> Not really, but I know who the characters are. Okay, well that's that's a good.
0: That's good. Um <laughs> so Adam was captured by an Anranian who was attacked by the Picks, and it's seemingly that he's tortured into madness. Uh basically think like the allegory here is that he's waterboarded. Um, But instead of being waterboarded, he keeps getting teleported all around. And it kind of like breaks his brain as he's starting to see things. And he admits to Alana that he did indeed kill the man outside the bookstore that was accusing him of war crimes as he thought he was a pick. And that since the invasion started, hey, I must be right. And it's kind of like set him down this downward spiral panic. And then like she keeps pressing him if there's anything to say about their daughter and he doesn't, which at least gives like hope to her but you still can't help dan but feel like he's definitely hiding something still like there's going to be a reveal there but we're now hitting that point where here's the second twist where tom king's going to spin it around again and then we'll, we'll finally get it around issue 11 issue 12 when this all ends um but this is the issue ends with adam breaking free from the torture in the past and killing his captor very violently which is moments we've seen before in this in this series I guess my only question is, was this happening the whole time or is that still set in the past revolving on how Adam got back to earth and won the war? Um, that remains to be seen. Once again, another good issue in the arts. Great. But uh, more questions as the mystery continues, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, this kind of, this issue kind of spins this whole series on its axis and um, yeah, definitely kind of leaves some stuff to be desired as to like, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I would say this definitely made it more interesting for me uh, up until this point. I was honestly, I'm surprised I made it this far to this through this. Series, I am too. I, I'm also surprised. <laughs> uh, I feel like I should, I might, have, I should have dropped off like four issues ago, but I guess, you know, this is definitely something I'm, I'm probably going to reread and trade at some point as well. Cause it's, I just think I'm going to have you too.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. um. I mean, I'm sure Vince is thrilled that Adam Strange is now a murderer of a possible innocent man. But uh and by, by satisfied and happy, I mean horribly angry and upset. Um, but hey, black label. But like I think they did at least a good job of like trying to convince you that Adam's a good guy, and then he's kind of had this breakdown where we've seen kind of slowly build up that he's not like the goody guy that we thought he was.
1: Um yeah. complex.
0: Yeah, very. He's much more of a complex, more like you know, deep seated violent character. As they're painting, like, hey, war is ugly, and there's no true good in it, which is you know the other part of this. But we'll still go with it. I, I think on my Tom King spectrum, like I'm not as high on this as his other books, though. Like I think this might be my least favorite. Well, no, Heroes in Crisis is my least favorite, so this can't be my least favorite. But yeah, I'm not as super hot on this as I was. Uh, you know batman or vision for example this is still very good though but yeah it's the one that's where the the mystery is the more slow build up because it, i kind of was starting to put pieces together and that's kind of the point here but uh i think uh justice league endless winter was kind of a, a fun th- phil's old throwbacky right vince the like old yeah. kind of events
2: yeah that's kind of my impression so this is written by andy Lanning and ron mars which is kind of a weird combo. I mean, it's not a weird combo, but I'm not sure the last time I saw Andy Lanning writing a a mainstream comic book following, you know, back in the day, I mean, literally from like the early 90s, you know, up through, I don't know how long ago, he would often collaborate with Dan Abnett. They would co-write things. Obviously, there's the whole Abnett and Lanning cosmic saga at Marvel. There's their Legion of Superheroes, Resurrection Man a bunch of Death's Head and early Marvel UK stuff, you know, on and on. Um, so it's interesting to see him pair with Ron Mars. Art by Howard Porter. So I'm kind of trying out the first issue of this big time-filling crossover, for which takes place before the next thing, Future State, which is either even more time-filling or, as we go on and on, it, it's looking like it's potentially the prelude to the most drastic changes to DC, maybe since 2011 who knows so this story has kind of a convergence-esque feel in a meta sense in terms of publishing strategy but actually the format of this event since you have i believe one shot on either side and then random issues from ongoing series like aquaman like flash etc it actually reminds me more of the nine, certain 90s crossovers, though these use annuals, but I'm talking about Armageddon 2001, Eclipse of Darkness Within, and Bloodlines. Um, in the beginning here, in the actual story, we have a bunch of C-lister villains Catman, Icicle, Rampage, and Multiplex, which I feel like Catman's a little, and well, Catman and Icicle, they're a little bit on a higher tier than these other two, but they take over a small island. They think they can just, you know, do this. Huge thing, but at a really small place, and they'll get away with it and just be able to chill out. But the Justice League show up to stop them. And meanwhile, Sebastian Stagg, who I think was very recently created. I think he was created in Terrifics. So unless I'm just, like, really stumping it, I don't think uh, that he was a character before. But he's, you know, related tangentially to Metamorpho. But I don't know the status of Metamorpho. Never mind. I'm getting confused. Um, I don't know. I thought Did Metamorpho die in Doomsday Clock? I know Firestorm did, but I don't really know. Um, No, Metamorpho was around in Terrifics. I know, but Terrifics has been cancelled for like half a year or something. Um,
0: But whatever. Recently, and also, who the hell knows what Doomsday Clock is anymore? Yeah, but Sebastian
2: Stag is up to some shit harvesting crystals from the abandoned Fortress of Solitude, which has to do with Bendis stuff. Uh, The fortress, I guess, moved. I don't know the specifics of that, but um, Barry, the kind of running like character thing is that Barry Allen is really concerned about work-life balance and figuring out how to you know, w- have a successful family alongside being a superhero. And so he's talking to Superman about it. He's trying to talk to all the other characters. Then he randomly stops in on Black Lightning. And this is low-key uh, like the biggest part of this issue. So Black Lightning is shown here with his two daughters all of a sudden. And what's crazy is I think this is their first appearance in this continuity because when the new 52 started, the JSA was retconned out because, so one of Black Lightning's daughters is originally appeared technically in kingdom come, but then in Jeff John's JSA run, he essentially pulled like some of those kingdom come characters. I mean, some, you know, more prominently or more obviously than others, but including bringing black lightning's daughters into the present and you know making them parts of things and the other one was more of a outsider slash titans kind of franchise character and you know when the new 52 happened with the jsa retcon or or you know not around they you know these two characters weren't around and then when there's finally There was technically a Black Lightning series. It was a Black Lightning, I believe a Black Lightning and Blue Devil team up or something was one of the first arcs in DC Universe Presents or whatever, the weird anthology title during the New 52. Um, But eventually when Black Lightning got his own solo series for the first time since like the late 90s, Tony Isabella, the creator who had written both of the prior, quote unquote, ongoing series, the character got brought into a miniseries. But he decided to de-age the character and didn't reference his family at all, which, I mean, he's the creator of the character, so whatever, and DC let him do it. But the series wasn't very good. That's not at all what most Black Lightning fans were looking for. Most Black Lightning fans are into the idea of the family because Black Lightning has always been portrayed as kind of a very mature character, which is why Barry Allen in this story is going to see him. But it was it was kind of weird. So those characters weren't canon for nearly a decade, um, and you know they happen to be two of DC's black female characters, um, and one of them is LGBT. I forget which one, but they dated Grace. Uh, I think her name's Grace. Um, back in the Outsiders, and also the the weirdest part of them not being canon in the comics is that Black Lightning has been on TV and is now going into its fourth season. So they're finally here, though they seem younger here than both pre-Flashpoint and than they are on TV as far as I know. I haven't watched the show, though. Um, But that might just be Howard Porter's weird drawings. I mean, I'll get to that in a second. Um, But back to the actual story here, um, even though I think that's kind of the biggest deal in this issue, um, there's a character called the Frost King who's accidentally awoken. Uh, up in the Arctic with where the fortress was, and there's some connection to Krypton. Um, and I don't 100% understand that aspect of it. But then suddenly, all across the Earth, it's winter. It's a very serious winter, no matter you know what hemisphere you're in, what country, what time of day. It's snowing, it's 50 degrees below zero. And there's some connection to Black Adam, because it turns out that this exact event or something similar happened in the 10th century where we see a quick flashback of Black Adam teaming up with Hippolyta, that's Wonder Woman's mother, Viking Prince, a uh, obscure Joe Kubrick character from very early issues of Brave and the Bold, and an old iteration of Swamp Thing. So the art here by Howard Porter, I think it's rough in spots, which is basically, it's the same thing that we commented while we were briefly reading Flash. And on that note, the next issue of this story is in an issue of Flash, and I think I'm going to continue with it. I like the time element and pulling in these obscure characters with the proto superhero team up. Uh, The plot and dialogue comes across with like a classic kind of feel to it, and yeah, I thought this was kind of enjoyable. It's weird. I mean, I don't fully understand the publishing strategy and stuff. And also, I think low key DC has like not remotely promoted this this series because they've focus so much more on future state which is right on top of it um so if this is really good i think it's unfortunately going to kind of be overshadowed and you know unfortunately maybe it'll be quickly forgotten but i think it's definitely worth checking out
0: yeah this felt a lot like uh justice league cartoon to me too with how well the characters bounce their dialogue off of each other we get a big fight a big ancient villain for them to fight we get a mix of good characters with the you know, our classic seven, um, especially since the league is definitely more representative of the of the Justice League show with the characters involved uh, with slight changes here and there. And I think Ron Mars did some writing for some of those shows, too. So, like, it, he's definitely, you know, taking a blueprint there. Um, and, and that's the, what the feel of it. But, like, I don't know, like you said, like this is throwback. It starts in a special and then there's like a Superman special but also like next parts in the next issue of flash with just numbered it. And then we're, this gives us an extra, you know, issue of Aquaman. So they're all going to have to be, you know, duking it out in different ways here. And I'm imagining it's going to be different team ups in every issue too, which should be pretty fun. I'm looking for, and I think at least uh, from most of the ones I'm reading, it looks like Lanning and um, Mars are, uh, I'm sorry, writing a lot of this. So it looks like it's all under Run Writer too, which is um, – that's probably a plus. So, no, yeah. I, I like this. I thought it was fun. I, I do agree, though. Howard Porter's art was – it was pretty rough in spots. Like, I don't yeah, know here. I think Flashier 1 looked a lot better than this. Like, that was – some some scenes were rough.
2: I think it's all Landon and Mars across the whole thing. I think it's going to be nine chapters total. I thought it was a lot longer, but I don't think so um the, I'll just say one more thing quickly is I, you know, despite the fact that it seems like this is a filler event and everything like that, I was very pres- pleasantly surprised to see that you know they are hitting on certain things of very recent continuity. I mean, you know, you mentioned one of the issues here is Aquaman after the Kelly Sue Conic run just ended, and Aquaman shows up here and is talking about, hey, I should be planning my head honeymoon. I got to go, you know, back to my wife and child. So, and that was, you know literally the last digital Aquaman, which was like one or two weeks ago. So it was nice to see, you know, whether that's on landing into Mars or whether editorial was like, Hey, you know, let's sneak this in here. It was really nice to see that.
0: We also, there was Superman commenting about the reveal of his identity too, uh, which, you know, I'm not a fan of that, but then also it looks like the Kryptonian crystals that were part of the, the old fortress uh, or somehow souped up our ancient snow monster. So that's, that's fun and kooky. And then also, for uh, your curiosity, the current fortress is set in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. That's where it's at now, which I think is also dumb. Dan, do you know who these characters are?
1: Yes, I do. And uh, this book goes out of its way to really hammer you over the head with their current status. It's like Oh while they're fighting let's let's list everything that they're currently doing so nobody ever like this was basically idiot proof this issue i feel like there was just so much but backstory was it, was it in these characters and characters like, and like no i don't think it was i don't yeah i don't think i don't think it was too heavy handed i think it was it was a little bit in the beginning but then it kind of settled down with the rest of the issue as we got on with the actual story but i mean i feel like sometimes you have to have that with the when you're starting off a new series like this so that's kudos to dc for doing that and yeah the flash thing i feel like it was a little bit annoying because like he's basically going around to each person while he's, they're fighting he's like tell me about your life how you how you balance your life how do you balance your life but like it really hits home once you actually like see him talk to um black lightning and his family it's like oh okay well that's kind of where we're heading towards yeah i mean I, like i said i'll probably follow suit with you guys just continue following this series i think this is a good start to it and the characters are nice. No one seems to be brooding except for Batman, who's always supposed to be brooding, but that's just his character. I love the comment too where they're like, How come he gets a an, a really cool Arctic suit? I thought that was funny. I like that
0: though. Like I like that they're having fun with it.
1: Like Batman would be in an Arctic suit, because you know, his suit
0: he has got a normal costume on. That everyone else has got superpowers. Like it yeah. does feel like throwbacky like that. Like if you're watching a cartoon, like Batman would totally be in a snow suit. Uh, because he's got all the gadgets, which I mean, doesn't really line up with continuity right now, where he's supposed to be like not as rich as he usually is. But I don't know, maybe he's got a spare snowsuit lying around. I had fun with this. I'm definitely continuing on with it. Gentlemen, one last book on our regular rundown. Let's, uh, and then we got the retro. So it's kind of a loaded show. Congratulations, everyone. You're getting a loaded show uh, upon our return. I'll go into King in Black, number one. Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman on pencils jp Mayer on inks frank martin on colors and uh guys this is your main event of the evening at least for you know books that we're covering because next week you know next issues are retro but this is king and black number one and uh this is the donny cates and ryan stegman mega event that ties into their venom saga it's been built up throughout all the books in the marvel universe it's finally here it definitely spins out of absolute carnage which was an event we also enjoyed last year Null is coming and Eddie sends out the call to Cap and the rest of the Avengers that it's time to prep. And he seals Dylan away in one of the safe houses he's found uh, for protection. And Eddie is, you know, his plan is to sit on the like the codex chair that uh, Carnage had back in Absolute Carnage and try to control the symbiotes on Earth to fight Null as the Avengers kind of start evac. And they like a wall of debris of the spare ships and stuff that were left over from Empire. Uh, to try to slow him down and nulls forces just boom they go right through it so null completely wipes them out the x-men show up at one point like totally felt organic for them to show up like you could like if you were if you were watching this as like a cartoon or a movie like when the x-men showed up i heard like the 90s x-men cartoon theme in the head like it was that good of a reveal for me um and they're all kind of buying time as tony uh tony stark's waiting to send in the big gun like they're they're big uh, power hitter because like they know that Null is like it, it, he's got a weakness to lightning and like a couple other things. So they're like throwing out anyone that might have lightning powers or like elemental forces to try to slow him down. And eventually the Sentry shows up. And uh, what happens to the Sentry is the the same thing that he did to Ares and Siege, where he gets ripped in half immediately by Null. And then Null gets his hand on Eddie and he's like, "You're not the Brock I'm looking for. I'm looking for Dylan." And he takes he rips Venom off of him. Um and then drops him off a building. So, Null is the void, um, as he says here, and uh, boom, what a beginning of an opening shot here. I, I'm genuinely excited for this event, and this has a blockbuster feel to me with the way it's open. I didn't have any of that with Empire. I have it here. And seeing the whole Marvel Universe have to get in on this right from the bat, I felt was done very organically, and it flowed really well. Like, it felt like an event that the whole universe was like prepped for, and it wasn't just like everyone's off in their own corner while this happens. It felt like they were all working together instead of just like, oh well, empire's happening, so we have to do our empire thing. Like this felt built up and much more organically placed and and paced, for that matter. Yeah, I, Ryan Stegman, I, can we put like arguably the best Venom artist of all time at this point? I we might. Uh, have a uh, you know a contested uh, agreement on that or you know viewpoints but man his venom's great and he's great on this he was great on absolute carnage he was great at the beginning of venom and uh you know it, it's weird that venom has now been at the forefront of the last two of the three big marvel events and this feels totally earned and makes sense for the for the series that stegman and and kates have uh you know have crafted out for this i really enjoyed the the opening issue of this i'm excited
1: it's almost like a meme that like sentry got ripped apart again yeah. like but also like, the whole thing he kind of liked
0: that he got ripped apart again too
1: yeah both kind of satisfying to see that uh, i don't know for sentry though yeah i i mean
2: overall it's fun. I like it. it It feels like a big blockbuster. Um, but at the same time, and and this feels bigger than Absolute Carnage in terms of the Marvel Universe, but at the same time, I think this feels more closely tied to the Venom series than Absolute Carnage did. If that makes any sense, um, like, you know, obviously, i I know Noel just from like reading comic headlines and stuff. and obviously he's been teased in things I have read, like Absolute Carnage, like, you know, uh, Silver Surfer, Black, um, or actually in them, but I feel like I'm I'm missing just a little bit of the threads here, having not read Venom.
0: Yeah, they, um, they built him up in Guardians too. He was been wiping yeah. out planets in the background of Guardians.
2: I'm not gonna lie. I mean, Dan said like it kind of comes off as a meme, but I kind of cringed at the entire the entire part featuring the Sentry. The fact that the Sentry is the big Deus Ex Machina that the Avengers call in number one. And number two, that Noel then rips him, rips him up and it's a, you know, a complete retread of that scene. And, and, I, and I mean, Noel, you know, directly acknowledges it. I think it's interesting how, as far as I can tell, I mean, Iron Man and I guess Iron Man and Captain Marvel, I don't know who else, they're somewhere off, you know, still around. But it's kind of low key setup that Spider-Man kind of has to save the day as we move into the next issue. I think that's where we'll probably go, which is similar to Absolute Carnage, where Kate's made it more of a Spider-Man and Venom a book, which I think is a smart move when you, you know, take it to an event level title um, for, you know, for sales and for wider appeal. Um, and then my other thing is, is Ryan Stegman drawing Cable as old Cable? Who cares? Awesome. It <laughs> That's
0: my point is who cares? It looked awesome.
2: Well, it looks awesome because it looks almost like it's old Cable, but I don't know. It's kind of ambiguous
0: that that's that whole double page splash when the x-men show up is it looks gorgeous like the whole book looks gorgeous but that page in particular so i guess like i i would recommend you guys do you want to join me on on this king and black journey are you gonna are you gonna hop on venom with me as we trade off issues now with king and black and venom i don't
2: know about venom but i'll keep reading king and black
0: okay I, I would be surprised that you wouldn't read Venom because the next part continuing this is, you know, Eddie's being dropped off a building. We got to find out what happens to Eddie next week, I think, or the next issue of that. If, the, but, if uh, that's
2: what's going to happen in Venom.
0: Yeah. But, uh, well, the next cover for Venom is him falling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, we also have uh, the Kirk Busick uh, Namor one shot that spins out of this. That's set in the past, by the way. So it looks like they're having fun with uh, these crossovers uh, and tie ins. So I think there's a decent amount of these tie-ins that we might also check out and read too. Uh, so we'll we'll see how it goes, but I think definitely for me at least, I'm enjoyed King and Black more than the opening shot of Empire. So I, this is uh, this is a big pass and a big plus for me. This is this is A plus stuff, and uh, also A plus stuff. Vince, you had the the retro book as we end get into the final segment of the show before picks of the week. Yeah, I
2: forget what the uh, we had one or two runner-ups for the retro that I didn't land on. I went with this. I forget what they were. They those would have been very interesting here, but I knew that Dan and Mike were you know were less familiar with this book, um, having you know not read the series. But we all know the creators, obviously BKV, for the likes of Saga primarily. Plus, you know, obviously we've read some of his superhero work, and I know Mike, you know, is very familiar with Tony Harris from Starman. Um, And first, like literally off the bat, we have a Mayor LaGuardia anecdote about how he was reading the newspaper strips over the radio, which I I'm I'm certain that I mentioned that in our pulp episode, I'm pretty sure. And I swear that's a coincidence. Obviously, I didn't read this issue ahead of recording that pulp show. And also, I will clarify for what it's worth for for posterity that. I didn't initially learn of that anecdote from this book. I, you know, I'm sure I read it on Wikipedia, but a very interesting coincidence that that's how we open here. So the first page actually, before we get the LaGuardia reference is you see a dude in a suit next to a plane. And we basically just see the definition of the uh, Greek, I believe it's gotta be Latin, the Latin term deus ex machina, which means it's like God inside the machine. And in literary terms, you know, it's the thing that comes out of nowhere to fix the story, to win the battle, things like that. Um, and we don't really get the full context of that you know, opening page until, as we go along. It's kind of revealed in chunks. Um, so we have a flashback to our young protagonist, Mitchell Hundred. Um, and he's obsessed with superheroes and he's reading an issue of Mike Rell's Warlord. Um, which is interesting because this is a, I mean, I don't know how that works legally. If you s- just sneaked out an image book and we're kind of seeing something similar in, you know, Donna Kitt's crossover. But this book was originally published by Wildstorm um, under whatever weird imprint where Wildstorm had like, sometimes there would be a Wildstorm book, which is essentially like a Vertigo book. So different printings of this, of Ex Machina, sometimes you'll see a Wildstorm logo. You might, maybe there's printings that have a Vertigo logo. Nowadays, I don't know if they put the stupid black label on it. Um, but then in 2002, he's mayor of New York. And then and then we keep getting certain flashbacks as, as we see what led to that. Um, so he has some ability to communicate with machinery. And he's able to stop an assassination attempt by jamming the uh, assailant's gun with his mind. And there's conspiracy theories that he's an alien because, like, how the hell do those, you know, do those powers work and then another flash to 1999 when he's a civil engineer and he meets up with a a police officer one of the patrolmen in the rivers of new york in the hudson bay or you know whatever i'm not super accurate on my uh, new york city geography and there's something weird under the brooklyn bridge and he like reaches down and check it out and like his face gets all scarred up and suddenly he can hear radios talking to him and things like that and he gets his power and he can basically communicate and control machines um so you know whether it's the motor in your car or your cell phone or the the electric grid anything like that and so he becomes a superhero and he calls himself the great machine and he does minor things he's kind of not a great superhero like there's some idiot kids who like get on top of the subway to ride it because they think it's cool And he, like, tries to save them, accidentally breaks one of their arms, and then they almost get hit by the train. So he stops the entire train system, which delays, you know, all the commuting and, and, you know, transit in the city for half a day. And, you know, he does, he dabbles in it. But then he decides, all right, I'm going to give up this hero gig. It's kind of stupid. But with, I'm going to kind of parlay some of that minor celebrity status and everything like that, I want to run for mayor. And he works with a uh, kind of a political uh, city council member, kind of helps him, you know, teach him the ropes and get him in and everything like that. And then the full reveal in the end is that he put on a suit one last time and he was able to stop the second plane on 9-11 from hitting the World Trade Center. So the World Trade Center one of the two towers still stands in this universe, and uh, I think that's. Uh, this is from 2004. I think this may be like one of the, mo- like most shocking or like biggest probably final page teases slash reveals in, you know, modern comics history. Um, I think BKV. A lot of people say that he really excels at first issues. And I think this is definitely one of the examples, though. I think this series stays you know, pretty solid. But I'm very interested to hear more of your thoughts.
0: I, I would definitely agree. BKV does first issues very, very well. Like I've read Saga's first issue. That's a very good first issue. This is a very good first issue. And like, there's at least two other things behind that I've read where the first issues are very, very good so this i i would definitely put this up as one of the best retro books we've read because it's a brian k vaughn issue one now i'm not the biggest brian k vaughn fan but i did enjoy this very much and also it's kind of it's fun to look at tony harris's art here and compare it to the beginning of starman because there's differences to it for sure um but it was very good
1: yeah and i have a few things to note there too i mean Paper Girls is another good example of a good first issue <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> by Brian came on. But um yeah, I think it's interesting too to note that like this whole retcon of like not really direct con, but like him saying that he saved one of the towers from that. This is only three years after that event yeah. occurred. Less than three years actually. So it's very bold. Yeah, I was gonna say pretty still fresh in a lot of people's minds and Um, also a little weird that he did not stop both of them. I'll, you know, like kind of curious to see like how that affected like the whole event actually in the first place. Like, does it really lessen the impact that 9 11 has on the world? I don't know if that's really something that this book goes into that much, but um, yeah, I know that this they came out with an omnibus for this a few years ago, right? No, they came out with hardcovers
0: and it's getting a it's the I think it's the first book that's getting the no, i did get an omnibus, but it's also getting yeah. the. Uh, you're right, Dan. It got a, 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 one of those huge omnibuses that DC publishes that you can murder someone with. Because <laughs> um, it's huge. Because I think it's 52 issues and like four specials. Yeah, uh, 50 bucks. Yeah. And uh, I, though I think this might be the first one that's getting that compendium treatment that DC is experimenting with.
1: Hmm. I might pick it up then. We'll see. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, it got a humongous omnibus. You know, it's probably like 1,600 pages or something. And Can't I think read it'll,
0: it. You get a book stand to read it.
2: <laughs> I think it'll be – I think they're squeezing it in two compendiums, and I think it's a decent way to pick it up. Um, otherwise, it's five thick paperbacks, and it was one of the ones where they had – I'm pretty certain they did the hardcovers, and then they did the paperbacks, um, whereas some of them, they did the hardcovers and then didn't do the paperbacks. Like, that's what, they, that's what happened to Scalp. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think this is a – and I think this series is kind of underrated. And also, I'll just say on the Tony Harris point, I think as his career went on, he leaned more towards photorealism. Um, like, there's this one book he did with Mark Miller. I think it's I think it's like an air fight. Like, it's like a jet pilot's book or something like that. And uh, I'm pretty sure only, like, two issues came out, and then it just never, you know, came out again. But, like, that series I remember – You know that's probably at least three, four years after this, and you know he became a little bit more photorealistic. He he did like three or four issues at the very end of Iron Man Volume Three, which uh, Dan probably has in his collection. Do you have the disassembled trade? Yes, I do. Iron Man, yeah
0: oh that's i guess that's around the time he did that dr Strange. no that was that was 90s i think he did that that flight of bones thing
2: yeah the, the flight of bones is probably like 99 because that's marvel knights um yeah and then he did a spider-man book probably like 10 years ago a miniseries
0: and um, then yeah. Yeah. yeah obviously the big book being starman <laughs> sorry <laughs>
2: The the Iron Man book spoilers for uh, you know fifteen year old Iron Man comics or even or even older, I believe in one of the issues Tony Harris draws is when uh, his girlfriend dies, uh, whose name I can't remember. The uh, Asian girlfriend.
0: Is she from uh, the music run.
2: Yeah. But uh, yeah, we all enjoyed X Machina. No, no,
0: I don't feel like we talked about it. Like, no, it's a very, very good first issue. You should read it. I mean, I'm this left me very, very much wanting to pick up the rest of the series because it's a very, very uh, intriguing first issue that makes you really think of the implications of this. Now, this guy saved the the second plane uh, world of 9/11, and uh, you know, having grown up and now lived in that world, it it might be fun to go back and uh, kind of look and see. Remember what the world was like at that point. You know, now looking back and uh, learning about it. But no, very, very good first issue. And gentlemen, picks the week.
2: Mine is Fantastic Four Road Trip or whatever.
0: Yep. Yeah, road Trip, the the one shot. Dan.
1: Gotta go with Daredevil number twenty five. It's a nut, it's a solid pick. Solid. Better than twenty four. Twenty five. There you go. That's, that
0: was actually a perfect use of the SpongeBob reference. Very good. Very good. I'm going King and Black. Uh, I kind of I alluded to it earlier in the show. Daredevil is my 1B, but King and Black is my 1A. Uh, I'll take the big blockbuster this week over the more serialized drama. Uh, any other week, though, Daredevil 25 wins it. Interesting to note, is as big as of a Tom King Batman fan I am, it's not – wasn't – Batman Catwoman number one wasn't the pick of the week. I was, I, I was almost certain that that book, when it was announced, was going to be my, my pick, but it, w- it was not. Um, I think I'd probably have it numbers, the number four after, because I'd put Fantastic Four above that Batman Catwoman number one, too. It was a very solid week of books on a kind of huge return. We had 14 books in almost a two-hour show, but thanks for sticking around, guys. And uh, this is the part of the show where we get to the ending. This is the part where I tell you hey, wash your hands and wear a mask when you go outside because uh, cases keep spiking in the holiday season as we approach uh, what could possibly be a very long winter. But also, you know, uh, happy Thanksgiving uh, to you guys. We said it last week. We'll get say it to you again. But hopefully with that, that's all we got for this week. We'll have more stuff for you this week. Listen to the show, like, subscribe, do all the fun stuff. Be safe.